0: Okay, <clears throat> you can be opening up your Bibles to the book of John. Uh, as I've mentioned each week, John is a very wonderful gospel. It's a very wonderful book. Uh, it's unique uh, in, its, in its style of writing. It is different from the other three gospels, which we call the synoptics because they're they very similar. Uh, and we know why John was written, do we not? And we read it each week. Go to John 20. And we're going to read it again, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What a wonderful two verses there, isn't it? We may have life in his name. Not just in eternity, not just in the future, not just after we die, but right now. Right now. And we're going to talk about that today in our lesson. We're really going to get into that a little bit. What does that mean to have abundant life in his name? And I think you're going to be thoroughly encouraged by what we're going to look at today, what the Lord has to say. Last week, we talked about Jesus' brothers. A little bit about how they grew up with Jesus of course and and they were there they were witnessing what was going on during his ministry along with his mother and uh, they didn't believe did they they did not believe while he was still here on earth in the flesh they had their own reasons whatever they were and we talked about that a little bit right perhaps it was familiarity right I mean, you grew up with siblings, most of you, I'm sure. You wouldn't think that your sibling was the Messiah, would you? I mean, if he claimed that, you'd just be laughing at him probably, right, or her, right? Yeah, of course. And as you get older, especially when you're an adult, you know, you'd hear your brother or sister say that, you know, you'd think they were kind of out of their mind, right? Perhaps. So they didn't believe who he was. They didn't understand until something happened, right? Until... That resurrection occurred. In fact, we talked about how that can be a comfort to us. That can be an example for our faith that after the resurrection, they realized that he truly was who he said he was. They had seen the miracles. They had seen all his works. And for whatever reason, you know, familiarity, jealousy maybe, uh, preconceived notions as to who the Messiah was supposed to be. You know, remember the Jews believed that the Messiah was coming back to establish a kingdom on earth, right? And we know that's not what Jesus did. We know Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And now his kingdom is established in heaven, and we are part of that as the church on earth. So we see that these brothers had a a hard time believing until that resurrection occurred. And then we read in Acts that they were with the disciples. They were with the apostles there at his ascension. They, They saw him again after he had been raised. And they knew, they knew without a doubt that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the one who had come to save the world. So we talked about that. We talked about how that can be a great strength for us. I mean, we have doubts at times, right? Yeah, our faith wanders sometimes. It it wavers sometimes. But we can take great uh, comfort in knowing how his brothers reacted to him. And by the way, if you haven't filled out the rosters yet, be sure to do that before you leave today. I forgot to mention that. All right. Well, we have a lot of evidence in the scriptures as to who Jesus was, who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And we have a lot of evidence of the things he did, the works he did, particularly the miracles that he did, right? And we can read about the testimony of other folks as to who Jesus was. Turn over to John chapter 5, and let's look at some verses there. John chapter 5, and beginning in verse 31. John 5, 31. If I hear witness, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So we have the witness of John the Baptist, right? Read on. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So he's saying the things that I do here, bear witness that I am who I say I am and that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. That's an interesting statement. He says, the Father bears witness of me, but you do not believe, therefore you do not have his witness. You've not seen him and you do not know him. What does that mean exactly? That's an interesting statement. Let's turn over to chapter 20, John chapter 20, and read a few verses from there. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now, get this last sentence. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay. So here we have several mentions of the testimony of who Jesus was. First of all, John the Baptist. We know John was ordained to come as the forerunner of Christ. He witnessed to him. He said, He must increase, I must decrease, right? We know about the works that Jesus did, the miracles, the healing of the sick, the lame, the deaf, the raising of the dead. You also have the testimony of God himself. He says, God has testified of me. And we know an example of that, of course, when he was baptized, right? When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But then he goes on to say, Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And of course, we have witnesses of the resurrection attested by the eyewitnesses, attested by Thomas here, who didn't believe until he was able to see him and touch his hands, see the wounds that were still there. So we have these examples, right? But we have not seen. How are we to have faith And who he was and know who he was when we've not seen him. Jesus said right there, Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Well, that's a great statement, but how does that occur? He offered another proof that he is from God, and we're going to talk about that today. The title of your lesson is The Proof is in the Pudding. Love that statement. Let's turn over to John chapter 7, and we'll talk about that a little bit. John chapter 7, let's read some verses. Beginning in verse 10. John 7, verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Notice this. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, <coughs> uh, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know, know letters, having never studied? He was not supposedly a learned man. Yet he's quoting scripture, teaching, talking about the things of the scriptures. He's acting like a scholar. They're amazed. Verse 37, I mean, verse 36. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Let me read that again. Notice this verse very closely. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Very interesting statements, right? Very interesting. A little bit hard to understand, right? A little bit to... you got to think about that a little bit. What is he saying there? It's almost like he's saying, well, just because you believe, you believe, or just because you do, you do, right? Interesting statements. Well, what is he talking about? That's where we're going to get in to the, the title of our lesson, All Right? The proof comes at a time here when many question who he was. They're wondering who this guy is. He's, he's teaching. He's not supposedly a learned man. He's a carpenter. He's not a scholar. How is he talking about these things? Where did he learn this stuff? He says, though, if you're willing to do God's will, you will know his doctrine is from God. What what does that mean? What are we talking about there? That's quite a claim, isn't it? That's kind of akin to this well-known statement, right? I'm sure you've heard, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? And that's that's true, is it not? How do you know how good the pudding is until you eat it, right? Oh, sure, you can hear it from other people, You can hear testimony from someone else, or you can hear it from the person who made it. But you may not know yourself until you really try it, right? We know that statement, the proof is in the pudding. That's where that comes from, right? It's a proverb. This is a remarkable claim by Jesus. So we need to examine that a little closer. What's he talking about that? Well, let's turn over to Luke chapter 8, and we'll see some verses about that. Luke chapter 8, and read a few verses. Beginning in verse uh, 11. This is the parable of the sower. I know you know it, but let's read it again. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. This is the explanation of the parable of the sower, actually. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the ground on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. we got a lot of folks these days, right, who are, who are out worrying about riches, worrying about other cares of their life, the pleasures of life, right? They're more concerned with that than their spirituality, who they should be. They might hear the word, right? They might hear the word, but it goes nowhere. What he's saying there in the last part is the ones that believed, the ones that heard the word, the ones that took the seed and it, it was planted and rooted and, and took root, were the ones that had a noble and good heart. Interesting. What does that mean exactly? A good and noble heart. We already know we talked about last week in Acts 17 about the Bereans. A heart willing to hear and examine. Remember what the Bereans did? They heard, and they went and searched the Scriptures. To make sure what they were hearing was true right psalm 25 let's go over there and read that for a second i know we're jumping around here but these are awesome awesome verses and we need to see what they actually say psalm verse 25 beginning in verse 9 psalm 25 verse 9 the humble he guides in justice and the he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. A humble heart, one that fears God, is the one who will hear the word. Is the one who will take it and put it into practice. Is the one who will have faith and it will grow. In other words, those who would put to test the divinity of Christ, the Messiah, cannot do, that, do so without uh, doing it from the heart. It can't be just a mechanical faith. It can't be just a lip service. It can't be just coming to church. right? You do well to come to church, but it's got to be a little more than the Yes, Miss Debbie. The last one there, Psalm 25. Uh, Nine through twelve. Yeah. Uh huh. In other words, it's got to be from the heart, right? It's easy to just get up and come to church, right? And we all did it this morning that are here, right? It's easy to, you know, put on your clothes or take a shower, put on your clothes, come in. But what we're talking about here is we got to really taste the pudding. It's not just about showing up. What's the old phrase you've heard, I don't know, 80%, 90%, I've heard it different ways. You know, 90% of life is just showing up. But the proof is in the pudding. You've got to eat it. You've got to taste it. It's a little bit more than just showing up. So what's he saying here? One will know his doctrine is from God. Well, what does that mean? Okay, so we've got to have a noble and good heart. We've got to be willing to hear what he has to say. But how do we know he's, he's from God because of that? chapter twelve, John 12, and let's begin in verse 44. <coughs> Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Interesting st- statement. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Okay, I can understand that. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him the word that i have spoken will judge him in the last day for i have not spoken on my own authority but the father who sent me gave me a command what i should say and what i should speak and i know that his command is everlasting life therefore whatever i speak just as the father has told me so i speak what is he saying there the word that he is saying will judge you in the end, whether you believe or not. Alright? In other words, we remember when we talked about in verse in chapter one, in the beginning was the word. John uses that to describe Jesus uh, a lot. He's saying the word was always there. The word of God. Jesus came, he spoke, and he spoke because he was sent by his father, the one who has the authority, the one who has the ability to judge us on the last day. So what he's saying will judge us. And you can think of it like the word is God. The word was God and the word is with God. We know that from John one, right? So what he's telling us is true and we have to believe that or we're not gonna be saved. Simple as that. Wait a minute. How does that prove it? I'm not sure I understand that. How, how does it prove that he is God? How does it prove that he is the Messiah? They will know his teaching comes from above. They will know his teaching is his everlasting love, life. He shall have the evidence in the very attempt to do the will of God. Wait a minute, what? By doing the will of God, we have evidence of the truth. Huh? What are you talking about? Just because you do something don't mean it, it's true. Hmm. The word of righteousness will produce something in us when we serve, when we're willing to hear, when we have a noble heart to receive it. And then we put that into practice. Let's talk about that, but what, what am I talking about? Turn over to Isaiah. And this is the passage that you need to remember. Isaiah 32. Let's read a couple of verses. Isaiah 32, verse 16. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. All right, let's read that again. That verse 17. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. What is Isaiah saying there? He's talking about peace that comes through the work of righteousness. When we hear the word through a noble and good heart, we put that into practice, something happens to us. Now, I'm not talking about just a feeling or a good, warm, fuzzy We get a peace. Something occurs in our hearts, in our souls that provides something for us that proves Jesus is from God, that Jesus is the Messiah. He offered this peace to his disciples. Turn back over to John 14. Let's read that. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than then I. He's giving them peace. He's about to go away. He's letting his disciples know that. And he's leaving them with peace. What, what, how is that going to happen? What's he talking about here? Well, as we do the Father's will, as Jesus taught it, and as he did it, we will experience it. Hmm. Interesting, right? Because we are doing the Father's will, because we are obeying through our faith, through our noble and good heart, we're going to have peace. It's a fact. It's a result. You're going to get it. Through the result you know, of justification through Christ, Romans 5, through Romans 15, talks about the prayer that Paul had for those who are faithful to remain that way and the peace that they would have. Turn over to Galatians 5, First, from there, chapter 5, verse 22, and this is going to talk about the Spirit, which we receive when we're baptized, it dwells within us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here we have the fruit of the Spirit. These are the fruits that should be produced when we receive the gospel and we put it into practice. And that doesn't mean you're going to have these fruits all the time. It's not mean you're going to get angry or perhaps betray some of these things. But you should see these things occurring. And these things help produce that peace. am not going to read it, but Philippians 4 talks about prayer. As a response to prayer, we receive peace. Have you all been praying fervently lately? for this virus, for your health, for your family's health, for this nation? Have you been praying fervently about that? Does that provide something for you? Perhaps a little peace, a little comfort? And I'm not talking about feelings. I don't get talking about the warm fuzzy you might get because you prayed. I'm talking about something in your heart that you know You have just spoken to the Almighty that you know you have been able to have a dialogue with the Father. We're also talking about an assurance that calms the heart. Jesus offered assurance, as we just read in John 14, to his disciples. So, as we do the will of the Father, as has been taught by Jesus, we also experience assurance. What am I mean there? Assurance that we are his. Assurance that we have been justified. Assurance that we've been sanctified, set apart. We're not of this world anymore. We are bought with a price. He shed his blood to make us his. Remember that? He's now reigning in his kingdom that we are part of. Because of that, we should have assurance. Well, wait a minute! Wait a minute. I, 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 I can't have assurance because I sin too much. I know I do. I can't, I can't get it done. I just can't do it. It's too hard. John one one. I mean, First John one. As long as you're walking in that light. In fact, let's turn over there to First John. Whenever I start having or wondering about assurance. I immediately go to 1 John. But let's look at chapter 3 there. Verse uh, 18. Chapter 3, verse 18, 1 John. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but indeed in deed and truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Wait a minute. What did he just say there? Let us not love just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What's he mean by that? Well, first of all, you've got to know the truth. And where do we get that? Yeah, we've got to be in the word. Because that word is going to judge us. And we've got to be in deed. You've got to be practicing. You've got to be doing something about it. And, of course, you're not going to be saved by what you do. You're saved through the grace of God, but you've got to be at work. You've got to be practicing in it to get that assurance, to get that truth, to get that peace. Paul talked about that a lot. He talked about it to Timothy when he was, reading, was the encouraging. 2 Timothy, we read about that. He's encouraging Timothy, work, working, being at, practicing his faith uh, Receiving that assurance, receiving that peace. What he's saying here is when we do these things, when we are faithful, we have a noble and good heart, practicing our faith, that's when we receive that peace. That's when we know his word is true. And that's when we know his doctrine is true. I'm going to read something out of your outline here from B.W. Johnson. He writes in here, Express it this way. He who in his heart says, Thy will be done, give me light, and I will walk in it. Talked about that first John, as long as you're walking in that light. Thy will be done, give me light, and I will walk in it. Will find that Christ is just the teacher demanded by his soul. And that the gospel meets his soul's want. What? Jesus will so meet the wants of his soul that he will be satisfied and will know the doctrine that it comes from him who made. The soul. Your soul is hungry. Right? Your soul needs to eat a little pudding. (laughs) I know, that's kind of a quirky way to say it. But we're born with a soul that needs something. And we receive that gospel from Jesus Christ. We know that soul knows, putting it into practice, that it is from God. That's what he's saying. I know that sounds kind of, what, how does that happen? I can't tell you how that all happens. I don't know. but That's what he's saying. We have that peace and assurance in our souls by having that noble and good heart and putting into practice what he says. We need to caution ourselves a little bit there, though, right? Caution ourselves just a little bit because even as Christians, There's times when we don't have peace, isn't it? Even as Christians, we wonder if we're saved. I mean, right now, I'm sure there's some in here right now that are wondering if you're truly saved. Am I right? Got to caution ourselves a little bit. And just because we're wondering doesn't mean that his word is not true. It doesn't mean... That's not evidence of his doctrine being true, right? Or the evidence that he's not from God. We may not have done the Father's will yet. Perhaps that's part of it. Maybe we have some sin in our life that we can't seem to get past. We can't seem to get control of. And of course, sometimes we need a little help with that. You know, from the Lord, we've got to put it in prayer, right? Right? from our fellow brothers and sisters. Remember, we're, we're here to help each other. That's part of putting that in practice. I know some of those sins is not something you necessarily want to talk about. Right? But sometimes we need a little help. Oh, and there's that love thing for each other. Right? There's that love thing for each other where we should be able to go to each other and ask for help. And as Christians, as practicing Christians who have that peace, We should be willing to help. Willing to help each other get to heaven. That's why we come here on Sunday. Did you know that? One of the reasons anyway. Sure, we come to worship and all that stuff. But yes, sir, Mr. Iverson. question you have an answer for us Brother Iverson is saying, how do we do the deed in truth today? And that's by doing what the Bible says, right? Practicing what we've been taught from the Lord. Obeying the word. Yes, sir, Mr. Kirk. saying our faith is, is personal. Our faith is something individually that we have to take care of, and then we come together and help each other that way, right? Through that practice. That's another way we practice it. Exactly. Exactly. We have to have a faith with the Lord. A personal relationship there, right? That comes from the heart, from a noble heart, and our soul gets filled by that. It may not always be evident. It may not always be something that we're we're pondering or thinking about. And there's going to be times when we're feeling like we're far away from the Lord, isn't it? There's going to be times when we've got something going on in our lives and it may not even be sin. Maybe, maybe it's just sickness or family that's having trouble. And you're wondering, what did I do wrong? What did we do wrong? You ever thought that? I know you have, especially if you've had children that have been wayward or, or had issues. Force. Our faith may be weak at times, and perhaps you're a new Christian, it needs to grow. Our faith may have become hardened by that sin. Hebrews 3 tells us to be on the watch, be aware, be alert, lest we fall, right? But we're not perfect people. We're not able to live a perfect life like the Lord did. We're going to sin. We're gonna make mistakes, but we can have the peace and assurance that comes from walking in the light. We have the word, how many times have I said it? We gotta be in it. We have prayer, how many times have I said it? We gotta be doing it. And then service, it's the old triangle thing, right? If you don't have one of those pieces of the triangle, You're not going to be growing, right? Yeah, it's all part of it. When there is peace and assurance, we should not just trust in the evidence that we see because many believe they're saved just because they feel good. And that's what I've been talking about. It's not about the feelings. And that's fine if you feel good about it but it's not about the feelings, it's not about the, I think I'm okay, or as long as I do something that's good. We have to have a faith that's constantly growing, that we have to have an open heart, a noble heart, that's providing that assurance. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there are ways that seem right, but may lead to death. You ever made a decision about something and it just completely backfired on you? Sure. Many of us have, right? It is not in man to direct his paths, direct his ways, his footsteps. Jeremiah 10. We must always be open to the Word of God. Letting the Word of God produce the the feelings by having faith first and not letting one's feelings reject it because we don't have faith. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah, that, that's a bit subjective. I mean, that's easy to say, you know, and we can, and, and it's kind of, kind of, kind of iffy to say. Well, that just that proves it because I, I, I tasted it. That proves it, you know. But Jesus says, "You will know him from the Father." By putting this into practice, we have proof that confirm a faith based on the evidence that we see. A proof that if it's lacking, we should be a sign our faith needs work. You know, if we're not producing these things, if we're not seeing fruit, perhaps we need to be thinking about our faith. Perhaps we need to be putting things more into practice, more in prayer. Are we willing to do that? Turn over to Mark chapter 10. I want to read a few verses real quick before we close. We're about out of time. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And we all should be asking that question, right? And I hope you have. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Here we are again, the one that sent him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not hear, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth, in other words, he's, he's following the law, he's doing it. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, we're talking about the rich young ruler here. He was wealthy. This is kind of a specific case. But what I wanted to point out was, this is a man who practiced the law, put things into practice, but his heart was not in it. You see, his heart was where his possessions were. It goes together, folks. You've got to have an open, noble, and good heart, and because of that doctrine that has been preached to you from Jesus Christ and put into practice, You can have the peace that passes all understanding. And you know what? The world won't get it. And if you're not getting it, hmm, maybe you're a little bit too much in the world and you need to be in the kingdom. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.